This is an NC Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast, the podcast designed to engage with ministry leaders around topics that will explore approaches and resources to help us be on mission together. It's because of your generosity that this resource is available. Learn more at ncbaptist.org slash give or contact us at communications at ncbaptist.org. Thanks for tuning in to the NC Baptist podcast today. My name is Seth Brown, Director of Convention Relations for North Carolina Baptist. Today I'm talking to my good friend Brent Leatherwood, who's joining us via Zoom. Brent serves as president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Brent is a Tennessean through and through. Go Vols, right? Absolutely. (laughs) He's married with three kids. He loves Southern Baptists, and he has a proven track record when it comes to public policy. Brent has worked with lawmakers on Capitol Hill. He's worked with lawmakers in the Tennessee State Legislature, even serving as the executive director of the Tennessee Republican Party before coming on board with the ERLC in 2017. Welcome, Brent. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing well, Seth, and it's uh, it's great to hear your voice. Last time we were together, we were actually over at your annual meeting for the North Carolina Baptists, and uh, gosh, what a what a great meeting that was! It was excellent. It was just great to be in the room with so many pastors and messengers. Y'all do some good work in North Carolina. Well, thank you. We have some great churches. That's the secret behind it. We feel a lot of. Uh, unity and momentum behind the Great Commission right now in North Carolina, and it is super encouraging. Yeah, the state conventions, that whole season, that's one of my favorite seasons because you really get a sense of the spirit of Baptist cooperation that's out there with our churches. And I don't know about you, but that just that just like recharges my batteries uh, for you know the year ahead. Amen. That's why we're here as North Carolina Baptists, and I know that's why you're serving in your role where you are. Well, on this episode, we're going to be discussing pro-life initiatives in North Carolina and beyond. But first, I really want to hear more about you, Brent. Um, I would say most of your counterparts in Southern Baptist entities have come to their leadership positions through some sort of pastoral calling, meaning you know they probably served in a local church at some point Your path has been a little bit different, and I'd love for you to tell us about your calling to ministry and how God has equipped you for your current role. Yeah, well, you got into uh, some of my background in the intro, and, you know, I tell people, actually, I've been a lifelong Southern Baptist uh, because growing up through college and through my early professional years, I only have ever been in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, so I'm kind of SBC through and through, but it's actually only more recently that I accepted Christ. And that's just because, I don't know, I think for so long, uh, I was resistant to Christ's call on my heart. And you mentioned that several of my peers out there, they've come through more of a uh, pastoral ministry track. Well, I've, I've come through more of a public policy track. Uh, When I graduated from college, I immediately caught on with a U.S. Senate campaign uh, down in Florida, did that, and just had an incredible experience there. And that's just really when the uh, political bug caught me. 
But even through all the campaigns that I've worked on, I think most folks would assume, oh, well, he just loves politics. Actually, no. Um, what I love is, is good public policy that actually helps people. And I just see politics as the vehicle towards electing uh, good people to office who can enact good policy. Uh, well, part of my time was spent on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and I was there for a few years. I was a senior member uh, of a staff or a, a member of the House, and um, looking back on it, I, I now realize what it was. Uh, it, God was telling me, you know, you are, are doing some good things here, but this is not, this is not the journey that I have for you. And at that time, I was about 27 or so, and I really wanted a family, but I, I was getting increasingly this, this sense that uh, I was actually not going to get a family in Washington, D.C. And I think God was really impressing upon me that he had something else for me. He had a, he had a different path for me. And so he, he was calling me away from Washington, D.C. and back home to Tennessee and uh, moved back here and honestly had, had no job prospects or anything. And I think, I think that was, again, it was just evidence that, that God was telling me to follow him and just you know forget uh, everything else I was doing in, in D.C. After a while, uh, kind of got back into public service. But what was most important was when I came home, I landed at my church, uh, which is Brentwood Baptist Church. And there really just started focusing on what was most important, which was my relationship uh, with the Lord. And it was actually not too long thereafter uh, that I just surrendered to Christ and was baptized by my now pastor uh, at the Church of Avenue South. And I think that God has kind of brought these, these streams together where I've started to kind of rightly prioritize things, which is my walk with Christ and uh, how uh, the gospel has just set my heart aflame for the Lord. But then also God has revealed to me that he wants me to use my vocation uh, to help introduce people to the Lord. And so that's how I've kind of gotten to this spot. Um, about six years ago, I was invited to, to come be a part of the team at the Ethics of Religious Liberty Commission and uh, honestly, this institution, this Baptist institution that has existed for over 100 years, uh, it just feels like home to me because we have a team of individuals who are motivated by the gospel, and they want to tell the world about Jesus, and they want to make the world a little bit better place uh, as they do so. And it's a group of folks who want to serve the church first and foremost and, and think through ways we can help our pastors uh, understand these, these complex issues uh, that are out there in the public square. And uh, as we do so, help people know a little bit more uh, about our, our good and, and gracious Jesus. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's a little bit uh, about my story. Amen. Thank you for that. You know, this is a topic for another podcast episode, but I, for one, am thankful for godly lay people with competencies and skill sets like yourself who just want to serve the church uh, through various avenues in Southern Baptist life. And so, uh, man, thank you for that. It's good for me to hear a little bit more about your story and, and for our listeners as well. Well, this episode will be airing in January. 
And that means Sanctity of Life Sunday will be right around the corner, which gives us a great opportunity both to look back on the state of pro-life initiatives and to talk about what's coming for the future. 2022 was a huge year for the pro-life movement. Uh, The U.S. Supreme Court issued a ruling in the Dobbs case that overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, a decision from 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide. Um, The overturning of Roe v. Wade was a moment that millions of Christians had had prayed for for almost 50 years. Brent, I would love for you to take just a moment to reflect on the significance of that and then just give us an idea of what that means for the future. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not an overstatement to say that the Dobbs versus Jackson Hole Women's Health uh, decision was the most significant victory in the history of the pro-life movement. For 50 years, Christians have have prayed for this, they have uh, advocated for it, and they have done everything possible to bring this this moment about. And um, I, I'm just so thankful for uh, all of the individuals who have come before our generation that that didn't give up uh, when when Roe was decided and didn't say, well, this is just the way it has to be. Uh, and instead, they slowly just advanced the ball legislatively uh, and through uh, legal decisions. And they kept speaking to the consciences uh, of policymakers and, and leaders in our culture to say that, that that child in the womb is actually the most vulnerable and defenseless neighbor around us. And they are worthy of protection and and defense uh, by our our laws and so all of those efforts and honestly that's that's too narrow because that's a focus on on policy and and legal we have to remember all of the other ways that the church has been active in wrapping around and caring for for vulnerable mothers and and anxious fathers and serving them through things like uh, you know uh, pregnancy resource clinics so all of those efforts in total um, ha- have culminated in this moment. Now, that said, uh, it doesn't mean that it's the end of the pro-life movement. And I think, I think a lot of people, as they were celebrating uh, the downfall of Roe and the Dobbs decision, they may have been left with that impression like, okay, this is, this is what we've worked for. Well, no. Uh, there are far too many of our preborn neighbors that are still uh, left in in extremely vulnerable positions, um, because what the Dobbs decision did is it said, okay, uh, for for so long now, abortion policy has been set in our nation's capital, and now the Dobbs decision says uh, states are in the driver's seat uh, when it comes to uh, setting abortion policy, and so. There's a fair number of states that have almost overnight uh, chose life, and their their legal infrastructure almost in, in shifted uh, to being pro-life. And there are some states that are still kind of working through it, uh, but then we need to acknowledge uh, that there are a number of states uh, that are that are choosing the complete opposite, and uh, they're going more towards a path where they are enshrining uh, essentially uh, laws that say that life is disposable. And so we need to celebrate the wins uh, where they are, but then we need to, to recommit 
uh, our efforts uh, in those states where where life uh, is still seen as extinguishable. Um, and and so this has 2022 was a big moment, uh, and it was a moment worthy uh, of celebration. But it simply means that we have now turned the page, uh, and we are into the next chapter. And there are some people that have said, "Oh, you know, this is just going to be uh, an, an easy victory, and, and and we will get to a place where every state respects life." Uh, and there are some people that say, "No, we're you know we're just we're we're going to be in this intractable situation where we will never be able to win over states like you know California or Illinois." Um, I'm in neither camp. Instead, I, I think, though, uh, we might be looking at a, another 50-year time horizon, and it just means it is going to be all that much uh, more important for Christians to continue advocating uh, with a message of life and dignity for our preborn neighbors. And um, But I do think we will get there. Eventually, we will get there. We will get to a place where every single person uh, from the moment of conception has an inherent right to life. Uh, I, I, I think we will get there. Well, Brent, I appreciate your optimism there and you know, pointing out that this is a moment to celebrate, but it is also the beginning of, of a new era in the pro-life movement. There is still so much work to do. This decision did not end abortion. It simply sent the issue back to the states. And so I want to dig into what that means, particularly for North Carolina and other states, but we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, we'll hear more about North Carolina's abortion policies and how particularly North Carolina Baptists can stand for life. The Every Child Foster and Adoption Ministry trains families working through the local church to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a needy child through adoption and foster care. Churches have the opportunity to host their own training through a gospel-centered approach for families who God is calling to foster or adopt. Churches can establish a local ministry to provide ongoing support to the foster and adoptive parents in your congregation or community. Churches can facilitate ongoing support to families, which includes important trauma-informed training to help with children who come from difficult circumstances. Begin today to help every child find a safe, loving home where they can hear the gospel. Visit HelpEveryChild.com and complete the contact form. Welcome back. We're going to dig into North Carolina's abortion policies and how NC Baptists can stand for life. North Carolina law allows abortion up to 20 weeks of pregnancy and then carves out uh, some exceptions after that point for instances where the mother's life is in danger. Uh, Many of us are praying that abortion would become unthinkable at any point in a pregnancy, you know, except for cases where a mother's life may be in danger. But for now, we have a situation where it seems that North Carolina is more liberal in its abortion policies than other states. In fact, Uh, North Carolina is quickly becoming something of an abortion destination, uh, which is very unfortunate, something that that I pray uh, would end soon. Brent, can you give us an idea of where North Carolina stands compared to other states on this issue? 
and then maybe identify for us uh, some states that have enacted good legislation that protects the preborn. North Carolina is in a more liberal posture as it relates to life, certainly relative to its sister states in the South. Uh, you know, that that's absolutely the case. I mean, for example, the law at issue in the Dobbs case that we've, we've talked about, uh, it comes from uh, Mississippi. And that regulation was seeking to end abortion at 15 weeks. So they'd be about five weeks ahead of y'all. Now, obviously, they've prevailed. And, and so they've got that uh, they've got that rule in place, and they're going to seek to lower it even more now uh, after Dobbs. And so, you know, compared to a state like that, uh, obviously there's there's some there's some ground that can be made up there. But I want to encourage your fellow North Carolina Baptists to take heart because, well, yes, maybe you're not as conservative as a state like Mississippi or uh, our state right next door here in Tennessee, where abortion is is virtually outlawed uh, here, you are far more conservative than some states in in the broader context of America. I I mentioned two earlier, uh, California and Illinois come to mind. Illinois is an abortion destination at this point. As a matter of fact, uh, there are studies showing that some mothers from states like Tennessee, Uh, or Alabama, or Arkansas are actually driving up to Illinois to procure an abortion. And this this is such a phenomenon that Planned Parenthood has now gotten into the mobile uh, abortion business. Uh, They have a mobile unit that they are putting in southern Illinois to direct mothers there. I mean, that's that's terrible. And, And in California, again, to give you another point of comparison, in uh, their legislative session, uh, they've been going back and forth about whether a child who is born can be murdered and somehow that not actually be considered murder. Uh, basically, the, the child would just be left to die uh, on the table uh, after being born. And so, I, I mean, uh, you and I know this, but even if we were talking to a secular attorney, that under any definition should be seen rightly for what it is, infanticide. And so in a state like California, that makes North Carolina look very conservative uh, in comparison. So, uh, yeah, just let me offer it like this. Y'all have got some ground to make up, and you certainly there's, there's opportunities there for North Carolina to get into a, a better position with respect to life. But you're not as far off as states like Illinois and California, where we need to be in earnest prayer for those states. And, um, you know, I want to say we're we're talking about specifically about uh, abortion and uh, the actual procedure of it and regulating that. But there's this whole aspect of wraparound care uh, that could be reflected in in policy uh, in a state like North Carolina and others. And, And so I would point to, there's a couple that come to mind. So for example, in the state of Georgia, they have now changed their tax law to recognize a preborn life for tax purposes for mothers and fathers. And so just, just doing something like that is an anchor within their state code that says that this life is going to be recognized by the law. And then in uh, a state like Utah, for example, uh, Utah has, has mandated that fathers... Uh, whether they're in the picture or not, they must pay 
uh, half of the costs associated with a pregnancy. And you might think to yourself, okay, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly for fathers fulfilling their, their role, but I don't understand why that's so important. Well, the reason it is so important uh, is because studies show if mothers uh, feel like they have support, uh, they are more likely to choose life for their preborn child. And just a, another kind of uh, added evidence of, of why this is such a, a pro-life and, and pro-family policy Guess who was uh, the number one entity out there fighting against this proposal? Planned Parenthood. Uh, because they know if fathers are in the picture, whether it's uh, you know fully as fathers involved in the lives of their child or even from a distance and, and merely paying half of the expenses, they know that more lives are likely to be saved. And so, of course, they're going to be in opposition to that. So those are those are just a, a couple. I mean, there's more, but those are a couple of policy solutions that have been advanced in other states out there where there might be an opportunity to do more than just regulate the procedure of abortion, but actually begin to change the nature of the law itself, the legal environment itself in North Carolina to truly create a culture of life in your law. And I, I think those are important for policymakers or folks who who care about policy to advance some ideas similar to that. Yeah, thank you for that, Brent. I asked that question because I hope that hearing what other states are doing, and especially in terms of what you call wraparound care, would stir up the imaginations of North Carolina Baptists, of residents of North Carolina, of our lawmakers to think more creatively and enact policies that that truly care for preborn and for vulnerable mothers. Um, We have to think creatively and godly as we approach these issues. As I've interacted with North Carolina Baptist congregations across the state, uh, you know, it's not a long time, but for almost seven years now, it is very clear to me that North Carolina Baptists want to stand for life. And North Carolina Baptists have really enjoyed a partnership with the ERLC's Psalm 139 project. Last year, we were able to place two ultrasound machines in pregnancy centers through Psalm 139. And this year, we have two more in the pipeline already with possibly more to come. To us, that feels like a very strategic way to impact local communities and to stand for life alongside our churches and pregnancy centers. I would love for you to tell us how, maybe from a local church perspective, how can local churches become more involved in the Psalm 139 project, and then maybe talk about some other ERLC ministry areas that you're excited about for 23. Yeah, so, uh, you know, look, y'all's tagline, your motto in North Carolina is on mission together. And y'all live this out in so many different areas. And I just want to commend y'all for doing that because it's it's not just about you know, sending missionaries overseas, although that's incredibly important, or planting churches uh, around uh, North Carolina, although that's incredibly important. The gospel should spill into so many areas of our life, and I think that's what that On Mission Together embodies, and y'all certainly do this in the area of life. And I'm so thankful for, you know, the leadership that you provide there on a day-to-day basis. Certainly your executive director, Todd Unzinger, and and just the the thoughtful and wise uh, visionary leadership that he is providing there. And so our Psalm 139 uh, project, it, it is a ministry of the RLC. It was started actually 
under one of my predecessors, uh, Dr. Richard Land. And he just felt, man, there, there's got to be a way above and beyond uh, what we are able to do on a daily basis where if, if our fellow brother and sister Baptists uh, just, just want to give more uh, resources to help these pregnancy resource centers that are out there that are serving these mothers and, and helping these anxious fathers and shepherding these families through these situations where they're anxious or they're asking questions where they may not know what to do, he just wanted to develop a way to help them. And so uh, the Psalm 139 project was born. And uh, we don't use any of our cooperative program funding for this. This is just out of the overabundance of, of folks around us uh, who, who just want to give more. And each of these dollars, not, not many initiatives out there can say this, but every single dollar that comes into the Psalm 139 program goes to one of two things, a machine, a life-saving ultrasound machine, or training for the the people who are using that machine at these pregnancy resource clinics. And those visits to those centers always just, they're so invigorating and they're so confirming and affirming that this work has to continue. And a few years ago, before the Dobbs decision was really even thought of, we decided, hey, we're coming up on the on the 50-year mark of uh, the disastrous Roe versus Wade decision. And our team under our former leader, uh, Russell Moore, we decided, you know what, to mark that moment, uh, because it, we suspected it would be such a, a, a big cultural moment where, where everyone's attention would be focused on abortion. We wanted to meet that moment. Uh, by placing 50 ultrasound machines ahead of that 50-year mark. We announced, you know, praise God, uh, our Southern Baptist annual meeting uh, last June in Anaheim that we had actually secured all the funding necessary to make sure that, yes, we are going to be able to follow through on that commitment. And little did we know, uh, just a short time later, that Roe would be done away with. And, and so, so you know what? We don't have to worry about there being a 50-year mark of Roe v. Wade anymore. Uh, but we're going to continue with this ministry because of situations like we talked about earlier, where we know Planned Parenthood is, is hitting the streets and continuing to target and prey upon vulnerable mothers. Uh, we need to meet them where they are and meet them with the hope and the grace of, of Jesus Christ first and foremost but then come alongside these uh, medical professionals, these nurses, these skilled workers, these, these dedicated volunteers at these pregnancy resource centers and give them the tools that they need to help these mothers uh, choose life. And so that's, that's what the Psalm 139 Project is about. And I'm just so thankful for the partnership that we've had in North Carolina to place multiple machines all across uh, the state, you know, from, from Appalachia Piedmont uh, over to the coast. It's just been it's been so great, and I I hope that continues. And if there's any uh, North Carolina Baptist or anyone else who feels compelled after hearing this, like man, I, I want to be engaged with that. We would love uh, to have you engage. Just go to Google, type in Psalm 139 Project. It'll take you right to our site. And we're just so thankful for the hundreds, thousands of individuals. Uh, who have come alongside us in the Psalm 139 project to place these machines all across the country. We want to do more. As a matter of fact, we've kind of cast a vision to say in those states like Illinois, we need to place machines especially there as well. And so that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. 
Well, we have thoroughly enjoyed that partnership. You know, like I said, to us, this feels like an incredibly practical, strategic way to stand for life, uh, to serve preborn babies. And Psalm 139 has been just such a wonderful partner in this, uh, both organizations, initiatives that are uh, convictional Southern Baptists, that are mission-minded, and uh, we're just really thankful for that. I, anytime we talk about this, I have in my mind the people that are serving in those pregnancy centers day in, day out, in the trenches, standing for life, uh, the smiles, the tears uh, that they have on their face when they when they have partners that are coming alongside them saying, we care about you, we want to help you, we're standing for life beside you. Uh, I think it's a really incredible partnership. Well, and then you also asked uh, with that, you know, other areas that I'm excited about. Just just real quickly there. So I, I mentioned before, you know, this commission, uh, it, it's been a essential Baptist institution for well over 100 years now. And we've gone recently through a season of transition. And, uh, you know, I was named president by our trustees uh, back in the fall. And so I've, I've been very purposely and thoughtfully uh, using these initial months to just kind of reconnect uh, with our churches, first and foremost, uh, talking with pastors, understanding more about their experiences, what they need from the ERLC, and how we can best serve them. And and so I, that's going to continue. I, I want us to continually be connected uh, with our churches. And part of our mission statement is to be alongside churches and assisting them to help them understand uh, the issues at play and uh, the moral demands of the gospel. And then comes the second part of our mission. It is from that work that we speak into the public square. So we speak from our churches. And so we are the Baptist voice in the public square. And uh, to put it another way, when you go to your church and you faithfully and, and sacrificially give in the offering plate or online, however you give to your church, uh, it goes through the cooperative program, and that helps to, to fund missionaries, uh, that helps to fund church planning efforts, that helps to fund theological education, and it also helps to fund uh, this institution that ensures that the SBC uh, has a, a bold, convictional, and grace-filled voice uh, in the public square. And so that's what we're doing. I'm, I'm building a team that reflects that. And I think our responsibility as we get reconnected with all of our churches and speak from that is to speak in the public square with a distinctly Baptist voice. And I think that's, I think that's important because I think that there, there is something that, as a Baptist, our, our views on the world, I, I think it does bring something unique uh, to the public square. And, and I want to emphasize that in our public policy advocacy. Uh, some folks, they like to say, oh, well, we're the, we're the lobbyists uh, for the SBC convention. Well, no, we're, we're actually not that. We're not registered lobbyists at, at any level, uh, federal, state, otherwise. But instead, uh, we are advocates in the public square. And we build relationships with policymakers and with their staff. And, and that's probably the thing that, that somewhat is hidden from public view. A lot of our work is very much done in public view. Uh, but there's, a, there's an aspect of it that I continually remind the team, continually remind folks uh, around us that 
as we are having these conversations uh, about you know policy solutions that 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 we're advocating for and uh, meeting with folks, policymakers, their teams that you know may agree with us or, or may disagree with us, I don't ever want us to lose sight that those conversations they actually might be an opening to share the gospel. And that's what I want us to be about first and foremost, is just always being attuned to how the Lord uh, might be using those opportunities. And I think back on my days uh, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and I just think, man, if I had interacted uh, with someone at this commission, uh, gosh, that that would have been so helpful. And so we want to be a resource to those individuals, but we also uh, want to be messengers of hope for those people. And that's what we are. In, in effect, we are, uh, we are being sent into the public square by the SBC. And that is, a, that is an awesome privilege that we've been asked to carry forth with. Well, Brett, I'm very thankful for your leadership. I'm, I'm proud of the ERLC and all that it's doing. And I'm excited to see uh, your and your staff's ministry unfold into 23 as you continue to stand for life and, and for religious liberty. Before I let you go, we'll end on a lighter note. I have a bonus question because we both know that spring training is around the corner. Mm. Uh, I know you're a big Braves fan. How are you feeling about the 23 season? That's right. Well, pitchers and catchers, they'll be reporting in just a few weeks. So uh, I-, I can tell you I will be even more excited. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm always optimistic about the Braves. But I got to be honest, I- I'm still overjoyed at their 2021 uh, World Championship. So I- I'm still living off of that. Just ride that wave. Yeah, I am the eternal optimist when it comes uh, to being a Braves fan. And my wife probably uh, doesn't necessarily want them to be quite as successful because uh, I, I, I plead with her that, you know, when they do things like win a uh, league championship or a world championship, we need to buy all of the requisite paraphernalia to mark that that moment, and and so she probably wants. I'm them actually to be... surprised I don't see any in your office right now. Oh yeah, no, it's my Braves jacket's right here on the back of the chair. Oh. Yeah, so no, it's 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 never far Excellent. out of out of view or out of reach. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining me today on the NC Baptist podcast. For our listeners, if you want to learn more about the ERLC's life initiatives or any of their other ministry areas visit erlc.com slash life. And we want you to know it's because of the generosity of NC Baptist, we are able to provide tools and resources that help defend vulnerable preborn babies made in the image of God. I want you to keep an eye out for upcoming news and information at ncbaptist.org about life initiatives across the state. We are on mission together. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Because of your generosity to NC Baptist, this podcast, along with other helpful resources, are made available for you. Learn more by visiting ncbaptist.org slash gift.